Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message. It is a special message brought to you by Pastor Ryan Iverson from Love City Church. It's going to be good. You're going to enjoy it wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Here it is. Pastor Ryan. Come on, somebody. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on, let's give it up for you. Pastor, Pastor Harrison and Christy. And there are two little, two little uh, twins coming. Come on, that's one way to grow a church. That's how I tell our church is to have lots of sex. If you're married, have lots of sex and have lots of kids. So that's how this is going to go. So if you're offended, you can see the door. Here we go. I also want to welcome my close friend and uh, in friends and ministry and partners. We have the opportunity to be elders in this house together. And, uh, you know, anytime Pastor Brett and Desiree uh, get to be with us this morning, I want to say welcome to them as well. I love you. Hope you guys had a great week last week. But, hey, I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Uh, first thing, I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, my wife's going to probably hate me because she didn't get to choose. But this is my wife, Stephanie, and we were on a road trip. Uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm American. Don't hold it against me. Uh, but I'm from Portland, Oregon, and this was our road trip uh, down to Portland, Oregon this summer to see my family. That's my daughter, Brea. She's 10, and that's my son, Ezra. He is 8, and that's my beautiful wife, Stephanie, and she's just pushing 25. And... <laughs> It's fantastic. And then there's one more, I think, on there. This We were just hiking this weekend, and there we are again. We live right near Fish Creek Park, and we were on a little walk. That's, so that's my family. Uh, I'm not used to having church on Saturday morning. I got to say, I like this. I thought about it. Pastor Brett, this is a good idea. Saturday morning, and then I got the whole weekend. <laughs> like, whoever thought up Sunday morning was kind of stupid. <laughs> like, Jesus, let's go back. I bet you Jesus had church on Saturday morning. But uh, I'm happy to be here with you. Um, I have a real word for you today, man. I, I, um, I love opportunities like this because I don't come today as um, an individual speaker. Uh, I come today as I get to represent kind of the leadership of the house. And so it's an opportunity for me to not only encourage you, obviously, with a, a life-giving word from God's word, but also it's an opportunity for me to challenge you a little bit. It's an opportunity for me to speak some prophetic thoughts into your church, into your lives a little bit. And uh, I, I thrive on these moments. So it's such an honor that it worked out. First thing I want to say that uh, the Bible clearly says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And one thing I know about your pastors is they're humble. And you know that the grace of God is what builds the church. Not just systems, not just great worship, which was awesome this morning, not just good-looking people or not good-looking people or rich people or poor people. We need people. But ultimately, grace, the grace of Jesus Christ is what builds the church of Christ. He builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he needs some people who are willing to be humble. We've got a lot of churches built on pride. We've got a lot of churches built on subcultures. We've got a lot of churches built on all this uh, stuff that's just not valuable for God's kingdom. What we need is humble leaders, servant leaders, leaders who are willing to give their lives. And I know these two have given their lives and they're humble. And so I want, to, I want you to mark my words, a prophetic thought for you today. If you can position yourself humbly like your pastors, God will pour his grace out on this church. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to look the best. You don't have to preach the best. You don't have to act the best. You just continue to pursue Jesus Christ with a heart of humility and continue to honor him in everything that you do. And I promise you this, this place is going to be packed, multiple services, multiple campuses. Come on, reaching thousands of people in the area, right? Amen? And it's not because... We're great. It's because we position ourselves in humility 
Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Amen. And so we believe that uh, that is a, uh, a recipe for a great church. Our people say, what does it take to be in your leadership team of Love City Church? Well, you got to be humble, you got to be a servant, and you got to be able to say yes to anything. Hey, some toilets need to be cleaned. You ready to say yes? Got to clean those toilets. Go for it. The other thing I want to share with you this morning before I get into the, 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 the message is that something I've been really thinking about, and this is kind of to, a springboard into that, is that, you know, a church is not a, a, a marathon. A church is not a sprint. A church is a relay race. And so I see some, some older gray hairs in the room, which I think is fantastic in, in the place. Some, some folks who are older than 40. Our church, we have no one over the age of 40. We all have 20 to 40-year-olds. And uh, since Harrison was with us last year, we've quadrupled as a church. And so, like, it's all these young people, and it's having babies and all this stuff. But I need some old folks in, in the house. And so I see some old folks in the house. I want to honor you today because the church is not a church that, that starts with and ends with Harrison and Christy, it actually ends and, and continues to go on from your kids, kids, kids. And God wants us to build a legacy church, a multi-generational church. And so you got to get this idea that this is just about you and your church and your fulfillment, though there's very important you have that. You have to think generationally because that's how God thinks. And if you're thinking generationally, you're not thinking about sprinting to the finish line. And man, we got to we gotta go, 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 because, you know, we, we won't be able to finish the projects. Listen, God's in charge and God's involved. You set your heart to the vision God puts in your heart. And I promise you, one day these guys are going to hand it over to their twins or maybe someone else and your kids and your kids and your kids. And that's what I tell our leadership team. Wouldn't it be awesome if you didn't have to church hop the rest of your life? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just go to one church for the rest of your life? Wouldn't it be great if we could build a church where we could do this together and we work through our hardships and difficulties and you don't have to go to church, to church, to church, to church, to find, find the perfect church when in reality, Pastor Harrison and Christie's church was just everything God had for you. So make a commitment today that if you're going to be a part of this house and work in this field, that you're going to be a generational legacy church, you won't make it just about you, but you'll make it about the generations upon generations of people that will come to the house of God, Kingdom Church. Amen? Come on, amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Come on. We're going to read a verse today. Luke chapter 10, 1 to 4. Uh, Lord, drop this on my heart. And what I'm going to give you is uh, from this verse, uh, uh, five things that church, that church, a church that lasts, a church that prevails. What does it look like to be a church that lasts? And the, this idea of this legacy church, this generational church, what does it look like? What do we have to be and do to be a church that lasts? And we're going to look at the words of Jesus today in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Just four verses. We're going to pull five thoughts out of it, and, uh, and we'll get you to lunch. But uh, after this, look at this in Luke 10. There it is. Awesome. Ask this, uh, after this, the Lord appointed 72 other disciples and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And just a little note, we don't need to pray for lost people to come into the house of God. They already want to come to the house of God. We don't need to pray for lost people. We need to pray for workers. People who are willing to lay their lives down, leave their gifts at the door, and get into the field and start saying, Pastor Harrison, where do you need me? I'm a gifted musician, but I'm going to lay that at the front door and say, all right, I need to be a worker. I need to be a person that says, all right, Pastor Harrison, where do you need me to be? And what, guess what will happen? One day you'll find that guitar in your hand. <laughs> but he said to pray for workers. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Come on, bow your heads. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we believe that, God, your word is living and active. It's sharper than a, a double-edged sword. It cuts to the depths of our lives, oh God. I pray for those in the room, God, who are a part of this, uh, this team, this kingdom church family. Today, would they be challenged to, Lord, to go farther and deeper and longer with this couple? Not only that, Lord, for those in the room, maybe you're new. Maybe it's their first time to church. Maybe they don't know you, Father. I pray they would know today that, Lord, you brought them here for a reason. God, you are involved. Lord, there are no accidents. It just so happened that it rained this weekend and they couldn't go camping, and now they gotta be here. Lord, there's a purpose behind that. Every person in the room today was not an accident, not a coincidence. It was a just so happened. I happened to go to church that day. And God, you did a work in my life. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody said. This group of people that Jesus was sending out was uh, not the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that Jesus had obviously been with him on this journey. They were uh, not the ones who uh, the book of Acts was majorly, uh, was majorly written about. They weren't the ones that we see all, all throughout the Gospels and the four Gospels. These were no-namers. These were nobodies. In fact, we actually don't even really hear any of their works, any of the things that they did on their journey outside of one verse that identifies uh, their results from their, their trip, the results from their ministry. And it's in uh, verse 17 on the screen behind me. You can just keep following along with me. There you go. Come on. Boom. Hit it. Ah, boom. There you go. Oh, back. Oh, another go. Okay. There you go. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. That is the only historical record of evidence that we see from these 70 individuals being sent out by Jesus Christ. They were other disciples. We don't get to go along the journey and see what happened. We don't get to, a zoomed in version of their stories. We don't get to be with them when they healed the sick and raised the dead and when they cast out demons. We, we, we don't get to see anything, but we can assume that when God sent them out, when Jesus sent them out, he sent them out and enabled them to do things that even the apostles could do, that even Jesus could do. They were no-namers who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in the church world today, you gotta be dangerous that you don't try to always be the 12 disciples. God may call you just to be a no-namer. But guess what? The feats that these no-namers did, these were the no-namers that happened to be in the upper room on Acts chapter two. We don't read their name. We don't know about them, but they happen to be in that room. We know that these 70 were in that room because it was 70 plus the 12 and a few other women and a few other things. These men were in the upper room. These men and these women were the ones who carried the church. These men and these women were the ones that carried a generational church and they planted it and they went with the launch teams and they went wherever the disciples went. These no-namers were just as responsible for the expansion of God's kingdom and the churches all throughout the world as the 12 disciples. Disciples. Don't get caught up in trying to be something you're not. Jesus has called you to be a no-namer because his name is the only name that matters, <laughs> right? His name is the only name that matters. His book deal, the only book deal that matters. His podcast is the only podcast that matters. Nothing else matters in your life but the name of Jesus Christ. 
So I just want to say that here today, that if you continue to position yourself as a no-namer in the kingdom of God, guess what? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Guess what? God loves it when you're vulnerable, you're broken, you don't got stuff all figured out. Nobody knows my name. Jesus says, perfect. That's exactly what I need. He wants no-namers. He doesn't just want these fancy-pants people who think that they're God's gift to church. He wants people who come in and say, all right, Jesus, I'm here to serve with all my heart and all my life. I'll do whatever it takes because I'm a no-namer, and I just want to serve God's kingdom, and I just want to serve my pastors, and I just want to serve the vision of this house, and I want to see what God has in store for us, not because I have anything to do with it, but because God allows me the opportunity to serve in his kingdom. Without these no-namers, kingdom church would not be built. Without these no-namers, Love City Church would not be built. Without these no-namers, Engage City Church would not be built. Without these no-namers, we would not have a generational impact from these 70 individuals who went out and did something significant for the kingdom of God. And what we learn from the, the five things from this verse that these men and women did on this journey, that Jesus gave them instruction. Okay, so you're almost a year in, is that right? Okay, so you're not even a year old as a baby. And what, what I'm going to be today is kind of like, kind of like a, a, a father or like a grandfather or like a brother who says, okay, listen, I'm going to give you some instruction on how to make sure this thing lasts. You don't want to fizzle out when you're tired. You don't want to fizzle out when there's a mistake. You don't want to fizzle out because you're working so hard to build something that has to happen tomorrow. You want to be a church that lasts through it all. In fact, the Bible teaches that in the last days, many will fall away from their faith. It teaches that many churches, seven of churches in the book of Revelations talks about, I have this against you, I have this against you, I have this against you. Specifically, the church of Ephesians, it says, come back to your first love. You do all these really good things, but you never loved me to start with. So I want to encourage you today. The five things I'm going to give you today are things that I believe that not only should you continue to do, you should do as an individual, we should do as a church, but these five things we see in Jesus gave these instructions. The first thing is this, it's on the screen behind me. It's in, uh, number one is this, a church that lasts knows that they are called by God. Now listen, a church that lasts, now these will be very simple, but they'll be very challenging. A church that lasts knows that they are called by God. After this, the Lord appointed. That word appointed actually means handpicked. It means to choose out of many. It means call by name, to affirm and to encourage. Where's that bag of Legos right there? Can I have this, honey? Thanks, sweetheart. So the word, the Greek word here is actually Lego, L-E-G-O, Lego. And this is where they got this word for these Legos. My son wanted to make sure that I set these up perfectly today, and I probably should have thought of this sooner. So if this is recorded online, son, just forgive me, son. The Greek word is lego, L-E-G-O. And that word actually means to be strategically placed. The word actually means to, to, to be ready for use. It means to be well placed by a designer. So when someone came up and said, I wanted to create this little snowmobile action with this dog and this thing here, you see all the different colors and pieces. My son loves Legos. How many of your kids love Legos in the house? Legos are God's gift to parents. That and iPad, Netflix, hallelujah. <laughs> if we look at this booklet here, we see that there's a booklet, and at the very last page, there's all the different pieces that are required in order to build this Lego piece. Now, there's 70 different pieces in here. Oddly enough, there's 70. I found that a little maybe prophetic. 
I didn't even realize it. Just a second, just saying that. Hit me. I counted one by one. Every, every number I counted individually. I didn't even do math, so I know I got it right. 70 pieces in this thing here, and it takes 70 pieces to make the exact picture that the designer had. 70 pieces of strategically well-placed, different colors, different, different sizes, different influences. One of them gets to be the guy riding the, 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 ski, the, the little scooter. One of them has to be the bottom ski. One of them gets to be the dog. Who's the dog in the room? Uh, one of them gets to be the top. One of them has to be the foundation. Every single piece plays a role. They are fitted. You have to know that if God has called you to be in this house, you have been strategically placed in this house. But there's a problem with that. If you're not playing your role, this thing doesn't work. Now listen, Pastor Harrison and Christy, they have their role. Do you know many churches today would like you to believe that this is the role of the pastor to be it all? Actually, the role of the pastor is most likely to be the foundation right here. And this foundation piece on the bottom is what uh, the, the, his role is to support the people who do the works of ministry. His role is to have a vision for a big mountain that God wants to build in, in St. Albert, a big church or God's influence. And he has the vision for it and he sees it and God gives it to him and says, okay, now I want you to start building it. But if you aren't coming along, playing the little role that you're supposed to play, recognizing that you've been fitted into the body, this won't work. You have to accept the fact. I'm just going to say it because I can't say it to my own church, Pastor Brett. Come on, guys, listen to me. Stop waiting for Pastor Brett to beg you to do ministry, or Pastor Harrison, I'm sorry, to beg you to do ministry. You need to step up and say, okay, I would really like to be on the worship team. And yes, I would really like to, to preach or I would really like to do this or do that. I recognize that I have a personal gifting for those things, but I'm going to set that aside. You tell me where I need to be in this mix up. You tell me what part I need to play. Today, I'm gonna to look like a ski, but God willing, tomorrow I'll get to be the caboose and maybe next day I get to play the dog. Hello. Maybe next day I get to be the hat. Maybe next time I get to be the bin. If you are willing to say, God, wherever you wanna fit me, because guess what? The giftings of God are not, I believe this strongly. God gives giftings to the body, but sometimes your giftings change. So you come into the house thinking, man, I'm this gift. And God says, well, you were that gift. In the last context you were, but you were, you maybe you needed some spiritual growth. And now that you've spiritually grown and you've come into this house and I've called you to serve here, you actually don't function in that gift anymore. You actually got a new gift. But in order for you to understand what your gift is, you have to submit yourself to the authority of this house and say, Lord, where do you want me? And the moment you say that, he says, okay, I'm actually gonna have you clean toilets for four months. But at the end of it, you're gonna realize that I've called you to oversee all the janitors and, and then all the teams and, and then all all the different campuses and oh my gosh here I am functioning in the gifting I always wanted to function and all because you started by saying gosh God I'm not called to play a gift I'm called to serve your church I'm called to serve you so in the kingdom of God you have to understand that every person has their part look at the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 and the message paraphrase God is building a home he's he's using us all irrespective of how we got here and what he's building he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation and, and now he's using you He's fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, the cornerstone that holds all the parts together, we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You got a role to play. If you're new here today, it's your first time, maybe you've only been coming here for a couple of weeks, guess what? You're in a good place. 
in a place where you can function and you can have a role and you can have a part to play and you can find fulfillment and joy, not from just serving yourself or your own interests, but by serving the kingdom of God, however he sees fit. You do that and I promise you this church will last. You gotta find where you fit today. You gotta find where do you fit. You know, when, when, a, when a, uh, there's an analogy that I like to use often that when this guy had this really cool idea he thought to himself, okay, I would like to take this little bean and I'd like to crush it down and add water to it. And I want to build a machine where there's a little cone and I put the, the little bean crushed down on the top of the cone and I pour hot water and out comes coffee, hallelujah. <laughs> the nectar of the gods. <laughs> so then I take this original intention. I got the manufacturer's instructions and I've got, I know exactly it's supposed to make coffee, but then I, I, I start trying to shove bread in the part where the water goes because I want it to be a toaster and I just keep shoving bread in there. Come on, where's my toast? Why is it the toast coming out? And eventually what happens is the bread gets all nasty and soggy and it gets stuck in there. And what happens to the coffee maker? It malfunctions. Many of you here today are called to be a coffee maker, but you're acting like a toaster. And you wonder why you're malfunctioning. You wonder why you have no joy. You wonder why when you come into the house of God, you got this frustrated feeling in your heart. You wonder why you haven't fit at different churches. Or you wonder why it's because maybe God has designed you to be something you don't even realize he's designed you to be. Because someone a long time ago told you you were supposed to do this. And you just fit into their mold. When in reality, we need to follow the mold of God. The mold of the Holy Spirit. Don't be a person in the house of God that malfunctions. God created you. He created you to function in the presence of God and to serve him and him alone. He gives gifts to those he sees fit to give gifts to. And when he gives you that gift, the pastor, Harrison, and Christy will recognize the gift. They will help pull it out of you. They will encourage you. They will build life into you. They'll maybe put you through some testing because the Bible says deacons must be tested. <laughs> I had a young guy just call me this week and say, hey, I want to be on your leadership team. I love your leadership team. It looks so fun. I want to be on it. I said, okay. I want you to be there Wednesday night for our worship night and clean the toilets. Guess what happened? He didn't show up. Next week, next week, next week. Why aren't I leading? And I've done this. Is this like because you? Because this is what we need. I need someone to clean those toilets because there's nasty kids that are in that school all week, and I need someone to clean it. And I've cleaned it for a year and a half. So I just would. Would you be willing to take that from the lead pastor who has to preach and teach and pray and do all these things? Would you be willing to take a plunger for me? I'll take a plunger for you. Number two, a church that lasts continuously pursues a relationship with Jesus. You say, oh, come on, really we need to say that? Oh, yes, we do. Look what it says, to ask the Lord of the harvest. A really interesting word, ask, is the word diorama. It's the word to want, to desire. I would have thought it would be like to request something. The word actually means to crave after something. To, to pursue, to desire, to long for. It also can mean like when you put a leash on a dog, you're, you're attaching yourself to the Father's heart. You're attaching yourself to God. This isn't, I'm not asking you to spend 15 hours in prayer a day. Uh, I don't believe that, that, that we are called to spend 15 hours 
of prayer a day. I think there's seasons in our lives where God calls us to pray. We're doing a prayer and fasting on September 8th to 28th, and we'll go into a season of prayer. But beyond that, you need to be a little bit more normal than that. This is actually talking about being a, a, a prayer-soaked individual, somebody who is constantly and continually, continuously pursuing a relationship with Jesus, somebody who is not just has a prayer life, but has a life of prayer, not someone who just does their devotions, someone who is devoted to God. Like as a church, Harris, I don't know if you have this, so I'm just going to say it to you. You guys need to pray and, uh, pray and worship, uh, Lord willing, on a weekly basis together. Be together. And I want to encourage, I can't say this to my church. I want to tell you this. If you want to see your church grow, if you want to see the wind of the Holy Spirit be in your worship services, if you want to see lost people come to Christ, if you want to see things happen, you've got to get together on a regular basis and pursue the face of Jesus Christ. You got to pray together. You got to worship together. Isn't it ironic that every time the pastor calls a prayer meeting, your stomach starts to hurt. You got to stay home or, oh, I got a sniffle or, oh man, I had a really bad day at work. Or, oh man, I'm tired. I didn't get to eat lunch or whatever it is. All these excuses start coming up. It's because the devil knows that if like, they just get in that room, if they gather together in prayer to pursue God, I know something's going to happen in this place. So I'm going to make, just do whatever I can to cause whatever excuse I can to keep them from getting in the one place. This day is important, but this day is not about you. This day is about people who are far from God. The day you get into the atmosphere where you can receive and press in is that atmosphere. We do ours pursue night every Wednesday night from 7 to 8. If you're in Calgary, come join us every Wednesday night from 7 to 8. And this last week, I'm telling you, there was, you know, 30 people in the room, hands lifted high. We were prophesying and pursuing the presence of God. And I, the Lord spoke to me clearly and said, Ryan, you keep it up, I'm going to blow on your church. It takes a sacrifice to have a relationship with Christ sometimes. Look what it says in Psalms 23. It says, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word shepherd actually means a special friend. It means that he's a friend of yours. You might be here today and you think, man, God's, he's angry at me, or God, he's mad at me, or God, he, he's an angry father, or listen, he's your special friend. He wants to do life with you. He wants to spend time with you. He actually likes you. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus likes you just the way you are? He likes you even in your porn addiction and your alcoholism. You know, he likes you even when you don't get things right. He likes you when you have missed like 50 days on your Bible reading plan. He likes you when you haven't been to church in like nine years. He likes you even after you fight with your wife. He likes you even after you make a mistake. Did you know that Jesus actually loves you even when you're in the deepest parts of your sin? Jesus loves you. Like, it's not just like he likes me because I pray or he likes me because I read my word or he likes me because I go to kingdom church. He says, that's awesome. You do that because you love me, but I already love you exactly where you're at. That's why I can come into the presence of God. And I don't care what song it is. I don't, it was awesome today. I don't care how good it is or how bad it is. My hands are lifted high. I want to know why? Because I recognize that my life was such a broken, disgusting life. And Jesus did not have to love me when my marriage was falling apart, when I was deeply addicted in my life, strong addiction, counseling the whole deal. My wife and I were going to get a divorce, for goodness sake. God bless her. She didn't divorce me. Hallelujah. And Jesus pulled me out of the depths of the pit in my life. That's why I pursued Jesus. Because he's my friend, because he loves me, and because he's faithful to me, and then he's consistently helping me, and speaking to me, and scolding me, and helping me, and guiding me. A church that lasts, a church that lasts. 
pursues a personal relationship with Jesus individually and corporately. How about Psalm 16, 5? I think it's two down. Look at this. What's my favorite verse in the Bible? Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Ha <laughs> ha. Not your career, not your marriage, not your kids, not your church, not your investments. Him. You alone, Lord. Lord, I could have nothing and be in a in a ditch and still you alone are my cup. God, I could be left alone and have sickness in my body and have nothing in my life and be falling apart and you alone are my cup. That kind of mindset is a mindset that says, okay, I'm gonna pursue a relationship with Jesus even when the church isn't going great. I'm gonna pursue a relationship with Jesus when things are falling apart. I'm gonna pursue a relationship with Jesus when I don't have it all figured out. You'd be a church that pursues a relationship with Jesus and you'll be a church that lasts. How about this quote from R.A. Torrey? Look what it says. When the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, the devil trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church and community is at an end. <laughs> There's something going to happen in this community. The devil is put on notice that a praying church that pursues Jesus is in town. So the devil's got to put in his 30-day notice and get the heck out of town. <laughs> Number three, a church that lasts knows that God or Jesus is with them. So you say, well, these are really, really simple. But listen, if we just practice these things and believe these things and live these things, you'll be a church that lasts. What it says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay, Jesus that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> See, wolves in, 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 in Palestine, they, wolves would, would have their territory. Whenever a, a flock would go through their territory, they would look for the weakest or those who were lagging behind. He would look for those in the, in the, in the flock who were not staying up close, so we're not staying in relationship, weren't staying in community, weren't staying engaged to where the shepherd was leading them. They would tend to falter off, and those were the ones that the wolf would attack. And the wolf was very territorial. So the moment you stepped, they stepped into their region, they would have all these different calls and they would do this big flanking, uh, flanking military thing and they would surround the flock as the flock went through their territory. Kingdom church just stepped into a territory of a bunch of wolves. That's why if you're here today and you say, Ryan, I'm falling behind or I'm walking slow in my walk with God or I'm struggling my life, you gotta, say, you gotta acknowledge it today and come up and say, hey, Pastor Harrison, Pastor Christie, I need you, leader, I need you in my life because I feel like I'm falling behind and I don't wanna get taken out by the wolf because the Bible says right here that I'm sending you out among wolves. So don't be mistaken. This is not cheesecake and pie and cupcakes and, you know, just woo, yay. Like, it's exciting and God's moving and God's doing great things and he's bringing miracles and he's gonna transform your life. But guess what? This is a battle. You are among wolves and you have to remember that Jesus is with you. Look at these verses. We're gonna read a few verses here because I like to read scriptures. First Thessalonians chapter four, look at this, or three. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that one would be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are, look at this, destined for trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way as you well know. Look at the next slide. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith in God. God is with us. What are some of these wolves? First wolf, it's not on the screen, but the verses are. Wolves are those who persecute you in Christ. Look at this verse. I'm just going to bang them out here. Since they persecuted me, Jesus said, naturally, they're going to persecute you. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there's a wolf of persecution. The second wolf is obviously the wolf of the enemy, the wolf of the devil, the schemes of the devil. Look at the verse. If he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How about the next one? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rules and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly places. The third, the third area is our trials. So wolves of persecution, wolves of the demonic attacks, and wolf of our trials. Look at this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so we will encounter wolves on our journey. But I have good news for you. As a lamb among wolves, you have been energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know today, when the devil steps into your family, you have the authority to look that little demon in the eye and say, hello, you are not welcome in my home. In fact, I think we put you on notice on Wednesday night when we worship and pray. Remember that? Well, hello, get out of my home. We planted our church. My kids had night terrors like crazy, fear and anxiety. And finally, I thought, whoa, the devil, the wolf's here. Wait a minute. God said he'd be with me. I'm like a lamb among wolves. And guess what? Jesus has enabled me, empowered me to say that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every weapon that has been forged and formed that exists in the devil's mind, it won't prosper. I am more than an overcomer and a conqueror through Christ who gives me strength. You have to know that God is with you. Look at this, Isaiah 41.10. Look what it says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Come on, somebody, say an amen. amen. You're here today and you're feeling discouraged or depressed or beat up or, get, uh, or beat down. I get it. I've been there. I've been in it. I, I encourage you to stay there for one, two days. But after that, you got to pull those bootstraps up, look the devil in the eye and say, ain't no, not today, devil. <laughs> it's not happening anymore. The wolf's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But my God is bigger. I'm the head and not the tail. God's called me to do this. God's called me to be a man of God. I'm a man of God. I'm a, I'm a great father. I'm a great, I'm a, I'm a son of God. Like I'm called to do this. You cannot stand against me. Come on, I just think this people in the room that have this hazy cloud in their mind of a, of a negative script, a, a, a demonic script in their mind where the devil has been coming against your mind saying, you're not a good enough mom and you're not a good enough person and you're doing too many wrong things and this is happening and that's happening. I want to speak to your mind today and say, you are more than a conqueror through Christ who gives you strength. You are created by God. You are a son and a daughter of the king. You have given all authority by the power of Jesus Christ's name. Come on, somebody say amen this morning. You have to understand something. You cannot walk around this world among wolves thinking that God has not, he's given you everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. You have everything that you need to live the, the powerful, faith-filled, radical life that God has called you to live. You gotta tell that apathy and you gotta tell the spiritual doldrums that's in your spirit. That's why David said, soul, why are you so downcast? I will yet put my hope in the Lord. You gotta speak to that inner you and say, shut up. I know life sucks. I know there was a death. I know there was a divorce. I know there was a difficulty. I know that it's hard. I get it. 
but you have been given everything that you need to endure through that season. Jesus doesn't take us out. He takes us through. So you got to stand up today to that, to that other side of you and that inner talk and the demonic force and the different wolves and say, okay, all right, you've come against me. I recognize that that's part of the journey. I recognize that, that the distress and the difficulty I'm facing is a part of the deal. So I want, I'm going to say this, and Harrison, people might leave your church over this, okay? If you want to be a part of what God's doing in this city at this church, you've got to recognize there's wolves. You've got to make a decision. Jesus said he turned to his disciples after all the other disciples had left him. And he looked at his 12 disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? Because he talked about eating flesh and blood and all these hard teachings and other things. And literally the Bible says that Jesus turned around and all his people, who, disciples who believed in him left because they realized that this was hard teaching. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? That's my encouragement today. There's wolves. You got to stay the course. If you stay the course, God will use you to create a generational church that impacts this region for years and years and years to come. Number four, I'm almost done, my friend. I'm almost done. Number four, a church that lasts, trust Jesus to provide even when it's difficult. <laughs> Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't take your ID. Don't take your credit card. Don't take your debit card. Don't take your Bitcoin. Don't take your phone, because I know you can do touch now. So I don't got my wallet, but you got your phone. He says, don't take anything. In fact, don't take your shoes. In our modern societal wealthy context, this is ridiculous, Jesus. You want me to go on this journey with nothing other than the power of your name. You want me to go on this journey and live by radical faith? You want me to believe that when the finances aren't adding up in our church or my life, you want me to believe that if I give that sacrificial money to the house of God, you want me to believe that you're actually going to come through and do what you've done in my life for 37 years and been faithful after day after day. You want me to live by faith in my finances? You want me to live by faith by sharing my faith? You want me to live by faith by trusting that you're going to reconcile these relationships? You want me to live by faith believing that the vision that you've called our church actually could happen? You want me to live by faith, God? He says, I want you to take nothing with you. And you want to know why? Because he wanted to set them up. He wanted to put them in situations where they were challenged, put them in situations where they had to get on their knees, put them in situations where, God, we cannot pay our mortgage payment this month, and all you do is you can either run or you can go hit the bottle or you can go hit the this or hit the that and, and flee from your problems and try to, try to cope with them, or you can get on your knees and say, all right, Jesus, you sent me on this journey. You called me to plant this church. You called me to do this, God. We're going to reach thousands in this area, and then if this is your vision, you're going to pay for it. And guess what? He always does. On your knees, putting holes. I, got, I have no hair on my, on my <laughs> knees anymore right here. Because I know that when you've been called by God as a disciple of Jesus Christ, when Kingdom Church started, it started as an act of faith to step out on the water. He said, don't bring your, 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 your stuff. Don't, 
bring your ideas. Don't bring all these things. The ideas are good, but listen, I want you to follow my ideas and my ways and my thinking and my strategy and my, my perspective. In our church for the first year and a half, we didn't take one offering. We never raised one dime. My wife and I had $10,000 in our pocket. We had no jobs and God said, start a church. And I said, God, you're crazy. And he said, start a church. I had no church sending me. I didn't have the privilege of having Pastor Brett send me out like Pastor Harrison did. We went with nothing in our home and we put $10,000 down and said, okay, God, we're gonna do this. We had nothing, nothing zero. And I said, God, if you're gonna do this, you're gonna pay for it. And guess what? Every year, every year we spend as much money as we can to serve the community. And every year God gives us $50,000, $60,000 more than we had. Every year I bought a house this year and I had no money two years ago. I don't know how those kind of things happen. It's because when you step out in faith, God does something for you that you can't do for yourself. He will bless you if you step out on God's will, not your will. There's a difference between stepping out on your imagination which you see something in your mind and think, oh, that looks awesome. I'm gonna wrap God around it. Tozer talks about this, A.W. Tozer. There's a difference between imagination and faith. Imagination is something that we see, wrap our faith around, wrap God around and say, God, will you do this? And when he doesn't do it because it was never his will, you get frustrated and angry at God that he didn't give you those 2.5 children or he didn't give me that house that I wanted or he didn't give me that thing. God, why it's wrong with you? Why did this happen? It's because it was never God's will in the first place. It was your imagination. Faith is when we put our hearts on something that is already in the mind of God, which means this. You keep living by faith. You keep stepping out. You keep being obedient. And what happens is you'll see God will begin to confirm his word by the moment you take that step. Something's there. It's called living by faith. And when you Get bad in faith. Every single time, God provides another relationship, another partnership. Oh, I, I have an offense here. I need to ask for forgiveness because I offended this person or I did this wrong or I spent my money wrong or I made this mistake or I sinned this way. God, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent. Forgive me, God. And every single time, I step out in faith. God provides, God provides, God provides, God provides, God provides. And guess what? I look up and say, oh my gosh, God, what are you doing? How are you moving in such powerful, miraculous ways in my family and in my life? God, how are you doing all these things? And he says, because it was never, you never based it on your imagination. You based it on my will, my heart, by faith. Believe that God, if this is what you call me to do, you're going to figure it out. Listen, you're here today and you're dating. He wants that relationship to figure out. He's going to figure it out. He wants, you know, your marriage and your relationships, you know, your finances. Listen, that business you want to start. Listen, if God wants you to start that business, he's going to figure it out. You have a part to play. You got to step out. You got to open the door. You got to do the relationship. But God wants, if He wants you there, it's already in His mind. Get ready. Many a plan in a man's heart, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. But you got to be a willing vessel to say, God, you're with me. When things stretch, when I stretch this, what happens? Do you know? What do I feel in my fingers right now? Tension, and there's a sensation of heat. <laughs> when you Tighten this thing. And what's my other what's my other thought? If I pull too hard, what's gonna happen? It'll hurt. So there's two two parts of faith. Fear of getting hurt, failure, breakage, and we can't handle the heat. <laughs> I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is so faithful that when you step out in faith, sometimes he says, Okay, Ryan, this is a season of this much faith. Okay, God, I can do that. Right, okay, here it comes, Ryan. You ready? Ooh, it's getting hot, God. It's okay. Trust me. It's all right. 
going to provide. Oh, Pastor Harrison, oh, man, we're coming to the end of the fiscal year. We can't pay our budget. We can't pay our bills. Oh, my gosh. I wish people would just tithe, for goodness sakes. And I don't have to beg them to tithe. I'd jump in. It's like all this stuff. It's like, well, just tithe. It's in the Bible. Whatever. I can teach you on that. But, you know, the reality is, is that in the New Testament, you said, you know, tithing's not in the New Testament. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, actually, the, the, the Jewish standard was 10 to 28%. In the New Testament, Jesus wants everything. So... <laughs> You want to talk about tithing let's have a conversation because uh when jesus gets your finances he actually has your heart so he's stretching you and the great thing about the holy spirit is that you'll never break he'll never hurt you the heat might get intense but he'll give you covering and he'll shield you and you'll see you'll see and the more you stretch the easy this thing stretches more and if i put it back it Stretches them, oh, wow, look at that. And you become exercised in stepping out in faith. If you want to be a church that lasts, you've got to understand that when things get hard, God is with you. And it requires a step of faith out on the very purposes of God. Let's look at this verse in Luke, Luke chapter 22. I'm almost done. I know I'm way over, but is that okay? I'm sorry, guys. I've got one more point after this. There you go. Look at this. This is the end result of that, of that mission. Luke 22. Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No. That word need is actually the word lack. That word lack is like our modern-day FOMO. Seriously. The word lack, the Greek word, is actually the sensation that I'm missing out. It's that word of, man, if I, if I don't drive that nice car or live in that nice home, which aren't bad, by the way, nice cars and nice homes are awesome. But if I, if, I, if I don't get things into my control, it won't turn out like I hoped it would. If I don't take control of this situation, I don't put my hands on it and figure it out, I'm gonna miss out on what God had in store for my life. It's this FOMO idea. And God said, hey, listen, when I sent you out and you stepped out in faith and you went on this journey and you started going for God and you started doing your thing and you started trusting me, did you ever miss out on anything that you ever wanted in your life? And the answer is no. You don't miss out in your life. Yeah, I don't have a nice car. I have a Honda, a Honda Civic, whatever. I don't care. It's a gift from the Lord, so I love it. We don't live in the biggest house. We live in a house, our upstairs, 1,200 square feet house. And we bought it last year. And people say, all these young couples are buying massive houses bigger than ours. And I look at them and I say, Lord, bless them. Because I think, Lord, this is a gift from God. This is what he knows I can handle. He knows I need this. I want that, but he knows I need this. And see, so you have to understand that you're, we're so concerned that we're gonna miss out. We're gonna miss out with all the other churches that are exploding and bigger and better and more people know that, oh, I'm gonna miss out. Listen, God's got a plan for you in your life and he wants you to know that the, the godliness of contentment is great gain. And when you can find that rhythm where you live in the need of God, I wanna tell you something, there's nothing more satisfying and joy-filled than being the person that God created you to be. You need to be comfy in your own skin knowing God hasn't come to do that. He hasn't come to do that. He's coming to do this. I get to live in full joy knowing that I'm not missing out. The last one is this. A church that lasts stays focused on the mission of Jesus. Look what he says. And do not greet anyone on the road. Jesus is kind of a jerk here. He's being a little rude. But a Jewish greeting required touch. You would ask, there's like five or six questions you'd ask. So when you greet someone on the road, it was like talking to that person at church, you know that if you ask them that question, hey, how are you doing? It's gonna be a long conversation. Some of you were like, am I that person? Don't worry, you're not. 
So you say, hey, uh, good to see you. <laughs> Sometimes, like, when you go on this journey, we can get a little bit sidetracked on the way. And we get sidetracked on the journey of building a church where we, we start to, to, to be really spiritual and really God-centered. And we're building a great church, but we forget there's a dying world out there that needs relatable, real people who aren't weird. You need people who have their foot in the church and their foot in the world. People who aren't so stinking weird that whenever you have a problem, they say, oh, let's, let's do it right now. Ready, come on together. Let's pray, which is awesome. But listen, it's a little weird when the person doesn't know God. There's just weird things we do in church. And I know it's a culture, but I want you to hear me today. God does not like subculture in churches. He doesn't want a hip class and a cool class and a rich class and a white class and this class. God does not love subculture in churches. So eradicate that from this church if it's here. I don't sense it, but if it's here, get it out because God wants all people to be able to come. Lost people, people who are far from God, Christians who are not saved, there's a lot of those. People who come into the house of God and know that we are, we, we are not so spiritual that we are no earthly good. We recognize that we are in the church and we are in the world and that there are millions and millions and millions of people in, in Canada today that don't know Jesus Christ. Millions of people in Calgary alone, there's 800,000 people who've never professed the name of Jesus Christ, not including all the different religions where they say they know God when they really don't. There's a lot of people that need to know about Jesus Christ. But you know what? You only have to reach one at a time. It's my last verse today and then I'll end. One more, I'm sorry. This is after the church started, the very last verse describing what the church should look like. And each day, the Lord added. Now, notice that word added. When you add, it's always like one plus one. It's not, it's not, it's not time. It's not multiplication. It's addition. It's one by one. So you've got five people in your life today that are your ones. And the Bible here says, this is, this is our vision for our church this year, to reach 365 people a year at least. Now, they don't have to come to our church, but they need to reach Jesus because the Bible says right here, he promises that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. You just have to worry about one. My one that I'd like to talk about as I end here today is he came to our church and he'd been to church his whole life, but he was never a Christian. He came to our church at Love City Church, was there on day one. A, month, a few months later, he did our prayer and fasting and it was fine. And then by the end of that year, he was now an alcoholic he was addicted to pornography. His marriage was about to fall apart. Things were not going well for him. And finally, we came to our 21 days of prayer and fasting in 2018. He felt the Lord tell him to give up alcohol. He'd given up alcohol for 30 days, and then he said, let's go another month, and let's go another month. Eventually, he, had never had a, he hasn't had a drop of alcohol since. He gave his life to the Lord. He got water baptized. Him and his wife's marriage is restored. This last week, he had a conversation with his father and his father, who's not a Christian, said to him, I think that you're a part of a cult. And he looked at him and said, Dad, I want you to know that Jesus Christ saved my life. He's transformed me. He's redeemed me. He's made me new. And he came home and he looked at his wife and his wife was all upset because his dad confronted him. And he said, honey, take joy. We've been persecuted for our faith. He said, take joy. He said, honey, we have been mocked for our faith and insulted. We're actual disciples of Jesus. I'm like, yeah. That's what God wants to do in the house of God through being a real person that isn't weird, that isn't just out of this 
world, that you're normal, but you love Jesus and you believe he's with you and you believe that God is in this place and you pursue a relationship with Jesus and you know that he's called you, that type of church will last forever and you will reach people that will be water baptized and saved and addictions broken and marriages restored. And then now he's on my leadership team and he oversees half the church. And he said to me yesterday, Ryan, I want to be on, I want to be in full-time ministry. I'm like, dude, like just two years ago, you were an alcoholic. You and your wife were going to get a divorce. That's what Jesus does. He transforms lives. And guess what? You get to be a part of it. Come on, as we end our time, why don't you close your eyes for a minute? I want to ask two questions here today. With every eye closed in this place. Come on, the first question I ask every Sunday at our church is, come on, you're here today and you say, Ryan, I just, this really encouraged me as a follower of Christ. And man, I'd like you to pray for me this morning that we can be these things, that I can be these things, that I can be that kind of a person that lasts as a disciple of Jesus. Come on, you say, Ryan, come on, that spoke to my heart today. And I'd like you to just say a prayer over me this morning. Come on, would you put your hand in the air this morning? Come on, any hands? Come on, I just want you to pray for me this morning. Come on, amen, put your hand down. Come on, if you're here today, everyone with your eye closed. You're here today and you say, Ryan, I came to this place and either you've never been to church before or maybe you're far from God. Maybe you call yourself a, a religious person or a Christian even, but today you realize maybe I'm not as close to God as I thought. If you're here today and you say, I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'd like to give my heart to him. I'd like to go on this journey. You might not know all the answers or have it all figured out because trust me, I don't either. But maybe today you want to start that journey. You want to make that commitment. Come on, I'm going to count to three and all I want you to do with every eye closed, just put your hand up real quick and put it down so I can see you. I won't call you forward. We're just going to say a prayer together. Come on, on the count of three, go ahead and put your hand in the air. If you're here today and you want to accept Christ in your life, come on, one, two, three. Come on, every hand in the place. Wow, that's amazing. Hallelujah. There's like 10 hands in the air. Praise Jesus. Okay, you can put your hands down. I want to pray for the first group. Father, right now, I pray for every person in the room, God, to raise their hand for the first question. They're here today, God. And they say, God, I just want to go deeper and farther with you. God, I want to know you better, God. And I want to be somebody who believes in you and trusts in you, God. Father, I, this message today spoke to my heart. God, I pray for those people. And Lord, I pray today you would give them the boldness and the strength, Lord, to be everything that you've called them to be today. That they would not be any different from this moment forward. That they would be changed and transformed knowing that, God, you have called them for such a time as this. It's a great call in their lives. And I pray you'd encourage them today. Come on, church, I'm gonna pray a prayer. Come on, would you all stand to your feet this morning? We're gonna pray a prayer together. Stand to your feet, close your eyes. And I wanna pray this last prayer real loud, every person in the church today. Come on, real loud. Dear Lord Jesus. Come on, try it again, real loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I wanna give my life to you. I recognize that I need you. I'm a lost person and I want you in my life. I want to start a journey with you today. I give my life to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We hope that message was exactly what you needed to hear. If you want more information, head over to our website, kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to see what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Hit us up there. We'd love to see you in person. See you soon.